Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast with your host, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. In this episode, we're joined by the esteemed sports physical therapist for the Charlotte Hornets, Dr. Jonathan Gardner. Dr. Gardner gives us an exclusive look into the world of NBA physical therapy, discussing the challenges, strategies, and daily routines that keep elite athletes in peak condition. Whether you're an aspiring sports therapist or an NBA fan, this episode provides a behind-the-scenes look at the demanding and rewarding world of NBA physical therapy. Join us for an engaging conversation with Dr. Gardner on excelling in this high-pressure field. Let's jump right in. Welcome to Dr. Jonathan Gardner, back to the True Sports family. First time on the True Sports Physical Therapy podcast. Thrilled to have you here, John. I appreciate you having me. I've listened to a few of them so far, so I'm, I'm pumped to be on. And by few, you mean all of them. All. All. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, John, you've had a unbelievably quick ramp in your career. It's been awesome. It was awesome to have you as part of the True Sports family. It's awesome to see where you've gotten to. And I can't wait to kind of learn where you're going from here. Um, just give us some background as to what it is you do currently. Sure. So I'm a performance physical therapist and strength conditioning coach here at, you know, Charlotte Hornets, definitely more PT side, but have started to dabble a little bit more in the weight room in terms of like the return to play continuum here this year. Um, so I guess you'd call me more PT than anything else, but I, I've been here for, this will be my second season. Um, and then obviously prior to that, I was, I was with you guys over at true sports for not long enough, three, three years, three, three, three years. years. Um, and then made my way back south. So, um, awesome to see where you've gotten. Okay, give me one word you would use to describe your professional life as an NBA physical therapist. Ooh, one word. One word. One word. Um, I mean, I think, I think a good word NBA wise or, or pro sport wise in general is probably pressure, right? Like these guys are multi-million dollar assets if not million with a b instead kind of stuff right so um and they're performing for you know multi-billion dollar organizations um and at the same time they they happen to be these one in a million genetic freaks that play play sports at a level we couldn't even begin to comprehend right so i think understanding the responsibility we have as sports PTs in that realm to kind of take care of these guys and prep them to play and uh, obviously extend their careers and earning potentials as much as possible. Um, it is a high pressure environment. Again, whether it's, it's more the private practice stuff, like, like what you guys have going on, or if it's actually in pro sport. So again, I think, I think pressure is probably a, a good word there. Yeah. What was, what was your welcome to the NBA moment when you really felt that pressure? Um, I mean, I think, I think it's when you realize how many different stakeholders are, are in the room, right? Like I, you always kind of operate in, in private practice, right? You get to treat the way you want to for the most part, right? Like obviously like companies have standards and, and stuff like that that you've got to live up to, but your treatment methodologies and stuff like that are kind of yours. Um, not to say when I'm here, like my treatment styles compromised by any means, but again, like you've got, you've got GMs and owners and head coaches and agents and the players themselves who are very on top of what's going on and, and their rehab processes and stuff like that. So it's just, 
there's more hands in the in the pot, so to speak. And when did you first feel that? Um, I mean, I think it was probably with my first long-term rehab here, right? Like, obviously, we won't go into specifics and stuff like that. But again, there's there's lots of questions about timelines and and when are they going to be back? And then, you know, if a timeline is missed or or it's not looking like it's going to be met that comes with more questions and more scrutiny and, and that sort of thing. And again, like that's, that's pressure, not only on, on me, but obviously on the athlete as well. Um, again, especially cause we didn't have as much, you know, as much team success as we wanted to last year. So again, anytime you're missing a piece from that puzzle, um, again, there's just a little bit more, a little bit more angst around the building. So, yeah. Yeah. There's so, there's so much at stake. So on the regular, when, when those, timelines or initial thoughts as to when an athlete will be ready or recovered, et cetera, when those aren't met, how quickly are those other stakeholders, whether it be GM, owner, player, in your face? Um, I wouldn't say so much they're, they're in my face, but I mean, I think for better or for worse, and more often for not for better, there's constant communication in this you know, realm of, of physical therapy. I mean, again, like we have, we have daily staff calls, um, slash meetings where we discuss status of, of everybody on the roster. Um, there's a member of the coaching staff on there and then everything that goes into that call is then reported up the chain to to G we can make practice plans or game plans or whatever the case may be. So, uh, it's pretty instantaneous, right? Um, Again, I'm I'm fortunate enough that I've I've got a, a head of medical who sort of tackles all the the agent stuff, so I'm not not <laughs> catching the brunt of those questions. Um, but uh, for the most part, it's pretty constant communication. So it's not like I don't know it's coming when it when yeah. it hits me. Yeah. And so, how would you say you handle that pressure? Being in that position, what are your secrets to to staying? even as you so clearly are. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest thing is you, I think the more data you have and especially the better you document stuff and the more you, you keep tabs on, on how guys are progressing and stuff like that. So it's not this giant ordeal when he does miss the timeline again, like I would, I'm in constant communication. So we're, um, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're in constant communication. So uh, again, if, if it's looking like timelines are going to be missed or extended or, or whatever the case may be, I think it's known well ahead of time. And I think it's important to, you know, you know sort of be transparent with that stuff and not try to be the superhero and be like, you know, just kind of make up for this on the back end somewhere or we'll rush something or whatever the case may be. So yeah, I, I think that's that's probably the gist of it. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. That doesn't sound so different than here, um, in in the outpatient world, where you're going to be ahead of things if you're coming from a place of honesty, right? You're going to be by not being the hero or being by being very transparent that I don't have all the answers necessarily. Um, but I'm there to help you, help the athlete, help the GM, help the agent, help all those stakeholders and say, um, we're in this together. 
right? And so that way you don't get pushed into a corner. It's the same thing in the outpatient world where a surgeon calls me. If I'm telling patient one thing, I'm telling a surgeon another, that's going to ramp up that pressure. That's going to put me, I don't know, behind the eight ball. Um, it's probably the same there. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. I, again, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's transparency is the biggest thing and making yeah. sure that information is you know, clear and concise and whoever the stakeholder is that that information is, you know, digestible to them. So again, not speaking PT to my GM, like he doesn't want to hear about orthokinematics or joint angles or whatever the case may be. He needs to know if this guy can play and if he can't, why, and if he is going to be back when sort of yeah. stuff. So again, like simplifying that kind of stuff for those people. And then obviously, you know, dealing with other people in the medical, in the medical department here, you can have more of those free flowing medical based conversations and stuff like that. Just make sure it's easily digestible to each party kind of involved. Yeah. Yeah. That's a dude. That's an awesome lesson that we can take away from a guy like you functioning with that level of athlete, with those levels of stakeholders and apply it to our world of the outpatient sports model or the private model. Um, gotta be honest, gotta be transparent. So I think that transfers really well. Um, you, you hinted at it a couple of times where you have all these stakeholders and you have all these other players um, involved in outcomes. Can you lay out what the performance staff and size looks like um, in the NBA or at least with the Charlotte Hornets? Sure. So, I mean, I, I can only speak to the Hornets. I, I, we have one of the smaller overall staffs for sure. So our head of player health is also our head athletic trainer. Um, I'm the only physical therapist on staff currently. And then we have one, two, three, three other athletic trainers, two strength and conditioning coaches, a sports scientist, and we just got a dietitian. So wow. that makes up our, our performance staff. And then again, across the league, it varies. I mean, you, you see other ones that are very heavy PT based. You have others that are kind of like ours where it's heavy athletic trainer. You have staffs that have six or seven strength coaches. So again, it, it just varies based on organization. And so you have, you have that staff that you just described. They're in charge of the health of how many, how many athletes? Um, we can carry 15 on the roster, including three, two ways. So up to 18. Okay. And that's it. At any given time, you're in charge of 18 athletes. Correct. Do you do anything with G league? I do not, no. Uh, I mean, when they're in town and in market, like when these guys are, are part of training camp and stuff like that, like like you'll obviously have interactions and stuff like that, but we, we do have a different staff that makes up the league. So that's two, two athletic trainers and a strength coach. Okay. And you travel with the Hornets wherever they go? I do. I do. Dude. Okay. And tell me what, tell me what life on the road is like. Um, I mean, it's busy, right? So uh, it's a lot of travel, but I mean, me and me and other members of our staff have had conversations about, I mean, it's hard to complain about travel when it's chartered flights and nice hotels. So, so again, like you're staying at really nice places in really nice cities, uh, for the most part. So on that front, it's not too, too bad, but again, like it, it's work, right? So, I mean, you land, you land in the city at 3 AM and get off the plane, get on the bus, get to the hotel. You don't go to bed, right? Like I'm going to 
set up the training room to make sure it's ready for the next morning so that we can prep for practice and that sort of stuff. And again, you're doing treatments right before you get on the plane. You'll do treatments right when you land. Um, you'll do treatments before shoot around. You do treatments after shoot around, pregame, postgame, etc. Um, so again, traveling is fun, right? Like you get to see some cool cities. You obviously get to interact with other staffs and stuff like that. Um, but it's work. Yeah. Yeah. It's work. Um, food. Food is good. Food what is they, good. What's, Too what's much that look it. like? How does that work? Um, so, I mean, we've, we've revamped our food here. Um, so, I mean, we have, we have chefs in house who make stuff two or three times a day, depending on what, what kind of day it is, whether it's game day or practice day, food on the plane, food when you land. And then obviously you're going to these nice cities where I'm lucky to be on a staff with, with a bunch of vets um, in terms of how long they've served in the NBA and stuff like that. So they know all the cool spots and stuff to go. So, okay. I've eaten eaten some pretty good food. That sounds amazing. Um, So you're saying if I ever get one of these jobs, they'll make me kosher food. I would assume they'd be able to find it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let put some feelers out there. See see what they can do about you. that. When you fly from New York to LA, do you get a bed on that flight? No bed. What does that mean? I mean, it's just a chair. I mean, does, it's, it's like a it's like a carved out charter flight. So it's it's a nice big chair, but no bed. No bed. Does anyone have a bed? No. No. It's like first class seating for players and then bigger chairs for everybody else. Okay. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. I know yeah. that's a burning question that I got when I told the masses that I'm having John Gardner on. They said, <laughs> ask, ask him about the bed situation. There, there are no on beds planes. on the planes. No beds okay. on the planes. Okay. Thank you for answering that. Okay. So now that you've described a little bit of the, the system and the rubric and the team, a player gets hurt. Um, let's say, cause we're going to dive into some knee pathology cause sure. I know that's a, a passion of yours. Um, and I'm sure you see a ton of it. Um, walk me through what happens from the time that player says to anyone, Hey, my patellar tendon's bothering me. Sure. So again, every team kind of operates differently. So I, again, I'm only speaking from a Hornets, Hornets perspective, right? So we, we split our roster evenly amongst you know, athletic trainers and PT. So I have my four, three, four or five guys that I'll manage throughout the year, whether we're, you know, we have prospect or just again, preventative daily performance care type stuff. Um, so again, normally whoever the provider is for that player, their point of contact, um, we've done a really good job here where the training room is not, like this forbidden zone where guys don't want to be, we've made it a very welcoming thing. And again, like we're, we approach it from the idea that it's performance care as opposed to rehab. Like it's somewhere that you can come even if you're not hurt and we can tune things up and, and make stuff feel, you know, just 1% better throughout the year. Um, so I'd say it's, it, you don't get a whole lot of guys hiding injuries or anything like that. Um, that's so awesome. Again, and by, by the way, a credit to you, because I mean, more of my experiences in the NFL world, there, it is not like that in 90% sure. of organizations and franchises. 
Right. So again, that, that comes down to my boss, head of player health, and then the GM as well, who's also kind of cultivated that culture. So, so again, props to those guys for having that stuff in place. It was like that when I got here. So it's not like it's, it's anything I've done by any means. Um, so yeah, whoever the, the provider is, this point of contact there, player says, Hey, like this is Bob. Learn me, you know, I'm there. Um, Again, we had the luxury of having team doxers sort of on our, our beck and call, and it's, it is not a hassle to get imaging here, right? So, yeah. again, like agents play a big role in that as well. So, again, like guy says something's hurt, it's lingering, let's go get an MRI kind of stuff. So, we can get imaging pretty quickly. Um, and then you just sort of start to lay out that, you know, return to play continuum from there. If it's, if it's something that requires time off or if it's something that can be managed, you know, sort of conservatively. Okay. So he, uh, player says, Hey, my, the, my patellar tendon hurts. If it's one of your five guys, they tell you, and then you yeah. manage it. And then there are other, what P you're the only PT. So who's managing the other call it 10 guys. Uh, the other athletic trainers. An so AT. Okay. They've got the other guys. Yep. Okay. And then, so you, they come in that next day, you land at 3 a.m. They get some sleep on their way to bed. They say, Hey, John, my knee's bothering me. You say, okay, meet me in the training room at 10 a.m. After you sure. get seven hours. What do you do? What does that evaluation look like? Sure. So, I mean, I think over the years, it's become more simple right? Like coming out of school, you do every special test you can imagine. Um, I mean, but I think the, the biggest thing is keeping it super simple at this point, number one for speed. So I can, again, effectively communicate as quickly as possible that like, Hey, this guy may not be in shoot around today or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so again, I'm looking at, I'm looking for a fusion, any, any sign of a fusion, I'm checking range, right? So I'm looking at flexion extension, making sure that we've got some sort of terminal knee extension again for us. I'm working with these guys all the time, right? So I, I can pick up those little nuances where something feels a little more stiff or if they've got some extra tonicity in quads or if they are starting to look atrophied or, or whatever the case may be there. Um, I'll do strength. So we have a dynamometer that we can kind of travel with if I need to. Handheld, um, a handheld dynamometer? Yeah, through, through valve. So just the dynamo um, that you can get quick strength stuff with. Um, and then your classic assess above and below, right? So if I know that this is a chronic ankle guy, like I'll look down there. If it's a, if it's a chronic hip groin, you know, abdominal wall type stuff, I can look up there and see, see what we've got. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's it for the most part with, with obvious emphasis on, I mean, I'm going to try to load it, right? I think that's, that's the biggest thing in the evaluation process is, is you got to see what sort of load it can tolerate because again like if you can't tolerate an isometric sitting on the table with me pushing against you odds are probably not going to go not out playing. and tolerate tolerate basketball stuff real well so again i think load tolerance is probably the biggest biggest thing we're looking at early and on do, and all of these guys have baselines of strength documented so that you can say hey here's your norm and here's where you are today so we're we're in the process of that i'm trying to sort of you know, headline that moving forward just to make sure that we've got data. Um, the tough part with that in the pro sports world is these guys are asked to do a million things. So you got to be real 
picky about what it is that you want this guy to to put effort into um, so that you make sure you get a good effort out of it. So again, if I'm like, hey, like we're going to run through like a lower quarter, like isometric screen, you may get two good strength scores and they're going to be like, I need to go shoot. And then they're going to blow through the rest. And, and that data is not going to mean anything. So it, it's simplifying your data collection process as well to make sure that you're not just doing it for the sake of doing it and stuff like yeah. that. But, but we are trying to do something systematically to sort of have, even if it's just an isometric score um, on the isokinetic machine that, that I sort of secured this year. Um, Good work. Just so we have some sort of baseline. Okay. What's preventing you from doing Everyone reports to camp. Everyone gets on the force plates. Everyone gets their ISO tests. Now we have your baseline. Now you go shoot. I mean, that's a five minute screen. If you have the right tech, why sure. can't you do that? Um, I mean, theoretically you do, right? Like it should be that simple. Um, but that's pro sports, right? Again, like you, depending on where guys at are, are at in their career, like they may have experience with that machine where they know a player who's gotten on that machine, gotten tested, and then they got traded. Right, yep. or did not get another contract or whatever the case may be, right? So, again, that's where it's being real picky about what it is you're going to test and also making sure that you get it implemented, right? So, like, for me, that machine got delivered two weeks ago. So, it's like end of preseason. We've already done – we've done force plates, saliva stuff. These guys wear Connexon chips every day, et cetera, right? So, so we've got tons of stuff on them. They're towards the end of training camp. They're exhausted and sore and ready for real games to start. And I'm going to go ask them to, can you kick into this immovable object as hard as you can for three seconds for me? Um, so again, I think it's a, it's a process that we're going to try to get down so that we do have that data kind of stuff. And again, like you, you do have certain, certain guys who are more inquisitive than others who want that stuff more often. You have other guys who could not care less. They just want to go. Hoop, so, and, and so that's you, by the way. So <laughs> how, how do, how do you address that? Let's call it conflict of interest where you, John Gardner work for the Charlotte Hornets. Your check is signed by, probably used to be Michael Jordan or someone with the Hornets, right? Sure. And so the player knows that and the player's thinking, wait a minute, he reports to management. I want someone on my side um, who's looking out for me. How do you walk that very fine line? I mean, I think it's it's very similar to sort of the the relationships you start to build with, with patients in the outpatient setting. And again, I think that's one of the things that sort of lended itself to my early success here is the, you know, the depth and breadth of the patient types that, that I got to interact with at true sports, right. You, you just learn how to talk to different people in different ways. Um, and I mean, it's always an education process. Uh, again, there's a lot of, why am I doing this? And, and again, like if you can, if you can communicate that effectively to the athlete, why this is important, why I need that data to be able to help you kind of stuff, as opposed to like, Oh, I just need a number so that we have it in a database so that when it, when it falls off a certain percent, like I know, to tell a GM to ship you out or whatever the case may be, right? Like it's always performance-based sort of stuff. And again, if you can correlate it to on-court stuff, that will typically go over better than, I mean, they, they don't care what their quad torque is at, at 60 degrees per second, right? They care that, can, that they can decelerate and keep Trey Young in front of them, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. that's where they're at with it. So again, like if you can explain 
why that value is important in terms of like on court performance. I think it goes over just a little bit smoother and you'll probably get a little bit more buy-in. John, you don't realize the gold you're providing with that um, very calm, but astute answer, <laughs> which is if we're looking through the lens of, I am just trying to help the person in front of me, regardless of your setting, that is always going to land better. And unfortunately, I see a lot of times in the pro world where it's, uh, I'm doing this test because my boss told me to, or because this is the way the team does it versus what you just laid out, which is we're doing this to help you. I only care about helping you. Here's how it's going to work. By the way, here's an example of where I'm going to use some of this data to make you better, to make you more money, to keep you healthier, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that goes a long way. So I, I don't know if you thought about it like that, but but that's what I'm kind of taking away from it. Sure. I mean, I think that's, it's a patient first mentality, right? Like just because I changed setting and it's, it's, it's a pro athlete rather than a, you know, a, a CrossFit weekend warrior kind of thing. Like they still have goals and, and stuff they want to get to. So the better you can communicate with them and, and relate to them and, and understand where they're, where their head's at with stuff. I, I think it just makes it an easier process. Yeah, for sure. How much time do you have with these guys to do, like in the example I'm giving you of uh, patellar tendinopathy, how sure. much time do you have to assess them and then to treat them on the regular? Mm, so, I mean, it depends, right? So obviously, like if you've got like a true long-term rehab, like if, if they happen to be post-op or whatever the case may be, right? Like obviously you, I can sort of dictate schedule in terms of like, hey, like, rehab is a priority at this point. Like we're not doing stuff on court. We're not doing as much in the strength and conditioning realm. Right. So like I get the allotment of, of time kind of stuff and I can sort of manipulate schedule to some degree. Um, in season, right. Like these guys have designated shooting times every morning before practice, you've got practice. They're always going to want to shoot after and stuff like that. Right. So like, I think some of that goes back to, the very first question with the pressure, right? So again, time's limited. You, I think that that'd probably be a misconception is that like, oh, like you're around them all the time. Like you can just rehab for four hours. Those guys don't want to be here that long. I'm going to show up, do their work, get paid, go home, right? So it's understanding that I've got 30 minutes. So I probably need to choose whatever is the most efficient and effective modality intervention or whatever the case may be for that day. So, I mean, I'd say on average, you've probably got like 30 minutes. And is that 30? Yeah. Okay. So that's 30 minutes one-on-one -on -one with one of your five Charlotte Hornets. Sure. Okay. And is, is there a case or um, a time when it's, that's three hours of rehab. If you, let's say you have six guys and you get 30 minutes, are you spending six hours of your day rehabbing? Um, to some degree, again, it's very player dependent, right? Like some guy may just need, they'll come and say just quick stretch or whatever the case may be, right? And you, and you run through a movement prep and, and see how they're feeling, address tissue quality and just make sure nothing's out of whack or anything like that. But again, it's just running them through range of motion stuff, make sure they feel good and then off Next. they go. So again, that can be 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're, you know, either documenting or running around helping other people out or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, there, there are days again, because I'm the PT, right? So I will occasionally take over some like longer term rehabs, like we'll swap guys or, or whatever the case may be, if it's, if we feel like it's warranted. Um, 
So again, theoretically, if I have all the post-op guys, that could be, I'm seeing that guy for 30 to 45 minutes before, I'm seeing him for 30 to 45 minutes after sort of stuff. And again, you're doing it every day from whenever training camp started until knock on wood, playoff, playoff runs over. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, so how do you, how do you get a guy to graduate from you? I think one of the biggest fears, and I see this playing out um, at various levels of competition with athletic trainers of once you take a guy on your caseload, he's going to be on your caseload forever. So how do you, how sure. do you, how do you manage that? I mean, I think, Again, because it's all performance-based here, right? Like it may not necessarily be, it's probably not a bad thing if they're continuing to see me, right? And you can continue to kind of, you know, check the box and make sure that we're addressing some of these these qualities that we felt like were worth rehabbing, right? So um, in terms of like graduate, I mean, I would love to, I would love for all my guys to be quick stretch guys or mm -hmm. tiny little activations and stuff like that. And again, like that's always the goal. It's, it's to have these guys in a routine where, you know, obviously who said it, uh, Corey Schlesinger was like sports, not healthy. Right. So the idea that these guys are going to come in every single day, hundred percent, all they're going to need to quick stretch is, is, is just super far fetched and it's not going to happen. But again, the hope is that again, ass assuming you've kind of cleared up, any significant pathologies through the rehab process and stuff like that. And you, and you get these guys back playing and stuff like that. Like it should just be two nut type stuff where I'm not having to spend you know, all that time. 30 to 45 minutes on a, a knee or an ankle yep. or something like that. Like it, it's more holistic and collaborative with sports, you know, sports science and strength and conditioning staff to make sure these guys are tuned up the best they can. Yeah. Okay. So I know you love loading diseased tendons, right? So sure. So with this patellar, am I right about that? You are. Okay. So in this patellar tendinopathy case, when once you get into loading, um, when do they become strength and conditioning? When does strength and conditioning say, you know what, like I'll handle the Bulgarians, you do your needling crap. How, how do you navigate that world? Sure. Again, I think one of the benefits of us having such a small staff is there is such constant communication and, and collaboration and stuff like that, right? Like, I'd like to think that I've not taught, but again, shown shown some of the strength guys some some various loading, you know, methods that that they maybe not have thought of. And again, they're they're running me through stuff that I've never even considered as well. So again, I think like having that collaboration back and forth makes it easy, so it doesn't turn into like a a silo situation or you're stepping on toes. Like this guy's supposed to be in strength training. Like, why is he doing rehab? Like I I'm doing that later, et cetera. So again, like making sure that there is that constant line of communication where if I know that like for me today is going to be a, a heavier quad load on the isokinetic machine, we either tag team that. And I, I make sure that we're, we're making it a quad day with, with the strength guy, or I'm like, that's all the load I want to go through that tissue today because we are going to go up and play and we're going to get plenty of quad load there. Like, let's just do hips and hammies as, as Tim would like to say. Right. So, yeah. um, again, I think because we're in a smaller facility and we're all right next to each other, that's a very easy conversation. That's a, he finishes on the table with me or in the training room with me or the weight room with me. And I just go to the strength coach. I'm like, I did this, this, and this, 
let's try X, Y, Z. And again, my two guys have been amazing since I've been here and it's, it, it hadn't been an issue. So again, you I can, are, can't speak to other. You're blessed. You're, you're definitely yeah. blessed. Um, now, I just want to make sure because you and I used to work for a guy that would always <laughs> say the word again. And that meant he was pissed off at us. That's that's not what you're getting at when you tell me again. This is no. the way we do. It. Okay, okay, good. Um, just wanted to clear that up. Okay, so <laughs> as the guy who taught me so much as it pertains to loading disease tendons, I'm dying to know what what have you learned from that strength world or elsewise since you've been there that you didn't know before you got there. Sure, I mean I think the biggest thing is it is it's a load tolerance issue right like whether you buy into like the donut the donut hole or the donut theory or whatever you know cook and maliaris and, and all those guys sort of argue about with it right like the tendon is dysfunctional the knee extensor mechanism is, is dysfunctional and therefore it's not accepting load very well um so again i think some of that goes back to just simplifying it and, and trying to dumb it down like the knee extensor mechanism is not tolerating load what can i do to improve the odds of that tolerating more load um so i've gotten very simple with my loading as well like i think as i came up like my exercise prescription was a little bit elaborate right like i'd have bands everywhere i'd have accommodating resistance this place or, or whatever the case may be everything was a compound movement um, what's the, the buzzword sports specific type stuff. Like I'm going to make it look like a cross on the court, whatever the case yep. may be. Yeah. And I think one of the things you recognize as you move up in, in levels of, of athlete is like, these guys are the best compensators in the world. Yep. Like you think you are loading that quad and you are not. Yeah. He yeah. has, he has shifted it into his glute. It is all in his calf or he's moved his trunk or contorted this way or that way. And, and again, like he's going to hide that load and sort of stress shield. Right. So the one way that you avoid that is you put them in a seated leg machine, leg extension machine, and you say push. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's only one way that weight's going to move or that they'll see like the isokinetic data change or whatever the case may be. So, I, I mean, I think simplifying it very early on, Number one, I think you can show these guys the deficit earlier because they're like, what you, like I jumped 40 inches. What do you mean my quads are weak? Yeah. And again, you put them on an, on an isokinetic and they've got a 45% difference or they can't even touch body weight torque or whatever the case may be. And again, it's less to, to show them that they're weak, but it's like you're performing at this level of sport with lack of strength. Like imagine if we do get this number up. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so again, it, sometimes it's less about like, maybe you don't have pathology, but again, we talked about that screening type stuff. If I know that we are lacking some, some strength, maybe that gives that guy that extra gear or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So it, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because I think the best addition we've made here at true sports since you moved on is getting just about all of our locations in the extension flexion machine, which costs sure. like, 250 bucks because we ha we put all this investment into force plates um, and getting really good at, at getting sports specific. And we very rapidly learned, put them on a goddamn knee extension machine and you're going to see how weak they are. Um, so, so I think that absolutely that, yeah, that really goes a long way. So if that's, that's what you're doing um, 
anterior knee wise, you are the heel float king. What have you started doing posterior chain wise or gastroc? Sure. So same sort of thing. Like, like you tease out, I mean, I think the calf's interesting, right? Because of where it's advantageous and sort of where it's its strongest, right? So it's, it's at that stretch position. So I've even gone the opposite of heel float heels on the ground now, and you do more ISO push in that stretch position. Um, Tell me what that looks it, like, like, like um, break that all the way down as if I am not a PT. Sure. So you'll do, I'll do like a seated calf ISO push. So I'll put them, I'll find 10 degrees of dorsiflexion. I'll have some sort of a movable object on their thighs and it's push as hard as you can, as fast as you can. And you're looking at, at rate and, and peak force and just how much torque that they can kind of that lengthened angle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. And then how do you do, you do the same thing with a locked knee to, to isolate gastroc versus soleus? Yeah. So we don't have a Smith machine here. Um, the only way I've played around with it is we have like a Kaiser squat. So you can just have a guy, you can load it up as heavy as you want and then push as hard as you can. So we can I, I bet you like, like the thousands of Australian physios that are listening to this, just like stopped listening when you said we don't have a Smith machine. That's <laughs> dude. That's crazy. Is that on your wish list? Next facility, next facility. We're getting, we're getting a new practice facility. Yeah. Okay. So Smith machine, what else is on that wish list? I got my isokinetic, so I'm good there. What else do I want? Belt squat would be nice. I can't believe you don't have a belt squat. No belt squat. That's unbelievable that, that you're rehabbing uh, seven foot athletes without a belt <laughs> squat. That's... These guys can squat. I'll tell you that. Most of these guys front squat, so they do pretty well with it. I bet. Um, okay, so when as as you're assessing the let's say um, in the patellar tendon case, right? How how quickly are you getting towards plyometric? Because we talked a lot about isometrics, but these guys do plyometrics for a living better than anyone in the world. So how much right. education are you doing with plyometrics? I don't do or a interventions. Lot. I, you don't do a lot. I, I really don't. Again, like if anything. I'll try to make it more of an extensive based plyometric where it's more like pogo ish, like for, for lack of a better way to, to describe it. So going for like quick ground contact, making it more foot and ankle driven mm -hmm. with the hopes of again, using some of that lower leg musculature and the foot musculature to sort of dampen the force as it goes up the chain. Um, and again, like you can get some of that stuff through force plate data and stuff like that. Like if this guy's just a huge knee dominant guy, then it's like, okay, like he's probably got what he needs there in terms of like loading that tissue. Like, let's see if we can, if we can keep the knees sort of locked and keep it out of it. When we do keep some of that stretch shortening cycle work, then we'll do more of the extensive pogo type stuff to start off with. And again, it's also understanding that these guys are going to, they're still going to go upstairs. They're still going to shoot if they don't, if they don't do it when you're in the building, they're going to come back later and do it and stuff like that. So again, it's, it's more of an education piece on, I mean, I know load management is just a big buzzword, especially NBA wise. Mm -hmm. um, but it's letting them understand, like, as of right now, like that tendon is not tolerating that load. So we just need to be careful with it. And it's, it's helping coaches and stuff understand that as well. But on, in terms of my side, it's probably significantly reducing the volume with me 
with the understanding that they're going to go play. So they're going to get yep. plyometric volume and stuff like that. So it's on me to tick the box of more that, you know, that isolated, slevy, heavy, slow resistance type stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. When you're doing some of those pogos, are you barefoot? Uh, more often than not, most of these guys don't train in shoes, which is nice. Um, hmm. Don't have the prettiest feet in the world, but but they do take they're, the shoes off when we train and stuff like that. They're probably gross. Are they taking the shoes off because of you, or that's you feel like that's baked into the NBA culture at this point? Um, I know it's kind of baked into our culture. Like you just kind of take your shoes off in the weight room because we just want to see how you move without without the shoe on. Um, again, depending on what a guy has going on, like I may want that stiffer shoe on to give them more support and, and added sort of pop to some of their mm -hmm. jumping and stuff like that. But if I'm just going for tissue compliance and, and GPP work or whatever you want to call it, I'm probably going to take the shoes off just so they can move through a different range of motion. I can watch how their foot moves and stuff like that. Since these shoes are not the greatest, they look cool, yeah. but, but probably not the best for feet. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, who has worse feet, NFL running backs or NBA shooting guards? Ooh, <laughs> oh man, probably the running back still. They I ding theirs into the turf and stuff like that. You might be right about that. Um, except I feel like pedicures are really catching on in the NFL world. Has it made it to the NBA world? Not here. Not here. <laughs> except for the rehab staff. Exactly. Exactly. We do weekly. Weekly. Do a lot of that. Okay. That sounds like a, that sounds like a great night out. Yeah. Um, okay. So what types of technology modalities, interventions have you found to be really impactful since you've gotten to the MBA that maybe aren't available in the private practice setting? Um, I mean, force plates are the big one. I know they're, they're becoming more readily available. So I, I wouldn't say so much. It's, it's having the force plates. It's having my whiz of a sports science guy and then our analytics department to sort of build these, you know, databases out for our guys so that we know that like when we ask these guys to do weekly jumps, it's compared long-term and short-term sort of stuff. And, and they've got the metrics they're dialing in on. And then I, I can have my input and stuff like that. So it's not only just having the plates, it, it's having someone who, interprets them pretty well i think or i like to think anyway the isokinetic machine is going to be a game changer in terms of how we rehab and how we can kind of pinpoint stuff and again the hope is that at some point it's it's part of the draft process as well right like you get an idea of like what these guys can produce torque wise rather than looking at a y balance or an fms in terms of movement quality it's like well we know basketball is a sport of decelerating and jumping that's typically a knee extensor thing. So let's see what these guys look at in terms of quad and hamstring type stuff. So, so I'm hoping that that's a game changer for us. Um, and then modality wise, we do have, we have an extracorporeal shockwave unit that has been a game changer with some of this chronic tendinopathy type stuff. So that's been cool to use, especially again, coming from private practice, especially with, with true sports, right? Like we weren't, we weren't a modality company, yep. right? Like we had an understanding that these people had movement dysfunctions. So the goal was to get them up and moving. And if they wanted to ice later, they could ice and stuff like that. Um, so now being in a realm where, where I have athletic trainers and that's like, that's not all they do, but like, that's, that's their jam. Like they understand that stuff, like having a better understanding of how to, 
how to manage early swelling, like when do they like to start icing, when do they like to start contrasting and stuff like that has been a great adjunct to, you know, what I do as well. Yeah. So even just the basics of getting into some of that stuff again, has been cool. Give me, give me some nuts and bolts there. Um, when are you using ice? Have you gotten into, um, BFR as a recovery technique? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how much, um, use is electric stim in this recovery world? Um, so we don't do any of like the tens type stuff. Like mm-hmm. just, we don't, we don't have units like that. I have, I have like a portable, Russian unit that much to the chagrin of my knee guys, I use a lot for the quad. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, no, none of your classic ice and stem by any means, like if anything, it's a game ready. So again, you're typically letting that we're compressing these, like if you get an ankle sprain, you're compressing it ASAP. I think that's the biggest thing is compress it. Good set of horseshoes around the malleoli to keep that swelling out of there um and then alter weight bearing as, as much as you need to you kind of let the natural inflammation stuff take care of it for first 24 48 hours and then you can start icing contrast type stuff for for pain management swelling management and that sort of stuff okay now that that natural swelling that you're letting the body do its work is that affected negatively by the fact that you're icing immediately or game readying immediately um I feel like that's both sides, right? Like, I mean, you, want- I mean you, you get both sides of it, right? So some of it's the, the traditional way. Like I'm, I'm not the first one to go to ice. Like mm-hmm. I, I would rather just compress it and, and leave it or put them in a boot or, or whatever the case would be to take some of that, you know, the weight bearing forces and stuff like that off of it. But again, I have the, the luxury of working with these people who have been in, in high performance sport before I was out of middle school. Right. So, yeah. So like, they're like, I've done this for 30 years. It, it seems to work. So again, you, you sort of, you sort of take that and run with it. Um, Okay. So again, it's a case by case basis for sure. Do you see, because you are responsible for five guys, do you see that your an intervention to a John Gardner athlete is different than the guy who reports to the trainer. Um, I mean, yeah, like I, I definitely think we do a lot of stuff similar, like our, our movement prep, like we call it, it's just like have a guy run through a squat lunge, bear hold, like, like all these different things. It's, it's similar. It's, it's the same for every player. Again, it's like a checklist to run through. Um, the general quote unquote quick stretch is pretty similar person to person, but in terms of like, dialed in interventions for like my specific guys it's probably very different from my athletic trainer counterparts um yeah does your does your ankle sprain get treated differently than um david's ankle sprain not not really no because again i i think again these guys have been around for for longer than i have right so i I think good practitioners are good practitioners like some of the tiny nuances may be different. Like I may be a little bit quicker with some of my plyometric stuff or dribbles or return to run type stuff than, than other people are just because that's, that's the experience that I've had in an outpatient. Again, like you get these, you get these kids coming in and like, I have a tournament in two weeks. Like I've got to be able to go. So it's like, all right, like we're, we're going to push the envelope and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So again, like, it's doing that responsibly here 
right? Because again, these guys are worth a little bit more than than your average club lacrosse player. So they make a little more. Yeah, make a little more. Good, yeah. good point. Good, good point. Um, so yeah, it, it's keeping that stuff in mind, but then also knowing that if I do get stuck, I got I can go to and be like, hey, like this isn't really sticking and then they will try other stuff like i i've never used i don't know if you guys have them yet the blackboard type thing like the ankle stabilizer foot stabilizer tool um i'll send it to you it's cool it's different ways to to attack the foot and stuff like that i I hadn't seen that Mm -hmm. other than just instagram videos prior to getting here and again like you go through it with these guys it's like oh it's the same thing as what i would try to do on a slant board you can just you know, sort of manipulate the calcaneus versus the the midfoot or whatever the case may be. So again, mm-hmm. it's, it's being able, I guess, being humble enough to to be like, I, I'm stuck kind mm-hmm. of stuff and, and asking for help from the other people. That's pretty awesome that that's the culture there. Um, I, I know that's not the regular. Um, okay, so that sounds like there's a ton of awesome stuff and tools that that you've come across that are new and different. What do you think at pro sports is the biggest waste of time that's currently being utilized? Not necessarily Hornets. Biggest waste of time. Yeah. In baseball, we call this eyewash. What is really just a freaking joke that, oh, we've been doing this for years, so let's keep doing it? Um, oh, gosh. I mean, my strength coaches would tell you it's a dynamic warm-up before practice. Okay. Like, these, these guys don't care. Yeah, yeah. they want to get through practice and get out of there kind of stuff. So we've joked about that before. Again, like you're trying to get these guys to do an A skip and they're, they're making fun of you for doing the A skip. And I'm like, well, you're doing it wrong. So, (laughs) Um, so again, it's stuff like that Uh, in terms of like, like other stuff that's just like, why are we still doing this? Mm -hmm. Mm. Again, you still see people, I'm not a huge fan of FMS. Right. So mm-hmm. you still see that as, as like a screening tool and stuff like that. I mean, I think there's, there's some value to it. Like we will, we'll run through it with some da- draft prospects to see if a guy can move and stuff like that. But in terms of something that you're dialed into in terms of your own player's performance, I, I don't know why you would continue to use stuff like, like that. That's been proven to, again, I would say 90% of my guys would fail the FMS. Yeah, for sure. I think I think ninety percent of everyone would, you know, fails the FMS. And what's it going to tell you? It's going to tell you, uh, you got tight hips. It's going to tell you you have tight shoulders, and you probably probably have weak hips, right? So, just like everyone, um, it's crazy that FMS is still around. And you know, Gray Cook would argue with you. He would say that he never really. Um, well, he would say that's not why he created the FMS. He would say sure. that. He created the FMS to to give you a baseline and, and kind of what to work around, not to predict injury, certainly. Yeah. So, again, I, I think we we certainly don't use it as any sort of predictive tool when we're doing it. It's literally like, can this guy squat at all? Do his shoulders mm-hmm. move at all? But, again, I think hopefully moving forward, you get more of that out of table exam and, and probably taking them through a – again, you could probably take them through a mock lift and, and figure some of that stuff out. Yeah, pretty quickly. Okay. So um, what do you think the future of elite level sports PT is? Um, the future of elite sport PT. I mean, I think it, it's constantly trying to tweak what that 
return to play continuum looks like. And again, like trying to push the envelope, obviously responsible, responsibly on how fast we can get some of these athletes back. Um, and there's a big, big movement with some of the cognitive stuff in terms of like control chaos theory with, with return to sport and stuff like that. So again, like with sport PT, with sport PT, is there a way that we can start to do that? Like VR is obviously becoming a big thing. We've played around with it a little bit, but I mean, they're, they're coming up with technologies where you can put a guy on the floor, right. And he can look around and like analyze film doing that kind of stuff. Like, are we going to be able to do that kind of stuff while a guy's doing quad sets while he's post-op ACL? So again, like you're, you're keeping them engaged in that way. And again, like that helps some of that neurocognitive, you know, sort of delay that these guys have when they get back in where they're just like, I just feel like a half step slow, but you know, all their metrics and movements and stuff look good. It's just the processing speed. Um, so I think it's, it's starting to dive into that sort of stuff. And then I think sport PTs are going to continue to have to adapt and be multifaceted. Like you've got to have, you've got to have a strength background. You've got to know something about sports science, unless you, unless you happen to be at, an organization that has five PTs for sports scientists and stuff like that. Like if, if you're a smaller staff like us, like my ability to be able to have more of those in-depth conversations with my sports scientists about what I'm seeing on the force plates or whatever the case may be is probably beneficial at this yeah. point. So again, for the PT coming in, it doesn't I'm not saying that you need to be the force plate expert, but if you can speak the language, I think that's hugely important. Yeah, it's interesting to see where it's gone. I think when I first got out of school 15 years ago, it was how well can we speak to doctors and surgeons? And right. now it's like, how well can we talk to strength and conditioning? Or, or by the way, even position coaches or speed mm -hmm. coaches. Yeah. Um, I could definitely see that being, being the future. That VR stuff is really interesting to me. I could totally see that eventually making its way into our world, into the private sector. Absolutely. Um, where we're, we're able to include that stuff. Um, I was just talking to someone in the Red Sox organization. They're like, it, it's not VR, but their ability to get a pitching machine that mimics spin rate of every right. single individual pitcher, put it behind the screen of that pitcher delivering his pitch and you get in the cage and actually hit off that, right? That's really powerful. Um, right. I, I think there's more moving parts in the NBA, um, but mm -hmm. I could totally see VR kind of taking us there um i love that it's a that's a lot of interesting stuff okay are you john gardner ready for your lightning round the eric cressy lightning round eric cressy lightning round here we go here we go um please make it quick here we go what most prepared you to be a pt in the nba do not say true sports <laughs> i can't not say it's the various roles that i had at true sports right it's, it's knowing how to be a part of a team sort of thing that's i think that was big right like i was came on staff staff pt clinic director I had the fortune of, of, you know, growing into the, the bigger leadership role with sort of the regional type stuff and learning how to manage people and stuff like that. So again, I think being able to go across that continuum makes it easier to fall into a part of a team here since I've been on about as many different levels of, of a team as you can be. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Okay. Clinically, what have you changed your mind on in the last four years? Uh, machines versus your compound movements. So again, leg extension versus split squat. Okay. Um, what is the best advice for a PT that wants to crack into the NBA? Uh, know your stuff, 
be able to talk to stakeholders at whatever level they need to be able to talk to and network your ass off. Um, what is the best resource that you recommend for PTs looking to improve clinically? Mm. Um, I'm a big fan Ob of obviously your Instagram. Sure. My Instagram, you have to scroll back a little bit for <laughs> clinical content. Um, yeah. Eric Meta, um, M E I R A, the science PT was huge for me in terms of just simplifying kind hmm. of stuff. That's sort of what started the process. I know I had, I went and took his course with a couple of our guys when we were at true sports kind of stuff. And again, I think it's fantastic. He's got stuff that's online or he'll do live stuff. So again, if you ever get a chance to listen to him speak or take one of his courses, highly recommend it. And then one of your other guests, David Gray, like just the yeah. way that he looks at movement and stuff like that and sort of combines all these different realms, whether it's, PRI or Davos or, or whoever the case may makes it very movement based um, has been good for me as well. So I'd yeah. recommend those two guys. They're such studs. That's, that's really, that's really good advice. Um, okay. Where is Dr. John Gardner in five years? Ooh, if you ask my wife, we're still here in Charlotte. Um, so nice. we don't have to move, don't have to move again. Uh, so, you know, hopefully directive rehab um, here or, somewhere in the league head of medical maybe so we'll see hell yeah i love that I, I do think that i'd like to see more of that i do think that john gardner obviously but i i do think that that's the future of sports pt is pts being head of medical yeah uh, um i would agree i don't think we see, i don't think we see it enough i think other countries see it by the way in the private sector also where where the PT is the quarterback of all things orthopedic sure. um, sports medicine. We get away from that doctor model. And I think we get away from the athletic training model. Um, certainly the PT AT I could see, but man, we should be, we should be running crap. I and agree. I agree. I think, your, Nick, I, your Knickerbocker's got a good one. Hell yeah. They, well, they're the Knicks. So uh, of course. we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Listen. Of course they do. No, he, he's a good one. Jesse Ellis. So, oh, another resource. Rehab Code. That's Jesse Ellis. I did his mentorship, mm -hmm. um, which was incredible. And then, obviously, conversations spur off that. He's got a great network. He's been in the NBA for a while. He's he's VP of Player Health at for your Knicks now. So, Hell um, yeah. maybe I can get him on your podcast. Who knows? Oh, I would love that. Um We'll connect offline about that, but For that sure. is, that, that's awesome. Um, okay. John Gardner. Um, I have loved knowing you for the time I have, not that that's ending. Um, tell everyone listening to this where they can find you. Um, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm trying to do more thoughtful posts, I guess, because again, you're grown I'm, up. I'm not, I'm not going to be throwing, you're not going to throw your athletes on, on Instagram. Like, like I did in the private sector. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, right? So again, I've got some old stuff on there. I'm attempting to find a way to put out some new stuff and, and maybe get into some mentorship type stuff. I know I've talked to to Tim about a way to do that. So maybe you guys will see a little bit more of me here soon. But uh, oh, yeah. Instagram, Dr. John Gardner 23. Uh, and then just my name, Jonathan Gardner on, on LinkedIn. Happy to connect and talk with anybody about anything. 
Yeah, yeah. And and you've been a model of that. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, the absolute best Coker basketball player I've ever interviewed. So thank you so much for Not that. Not a high bar, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for your knowledge and really like the, the look behind the curtain. I think um, it's really valuable. And you come from such a great place of humility and obviously aptitude. So thank you so much for sharing all that with me and, and the audience. Um, if you guys have any comments, if you guys want to hear more of Dr. John Gardner, if you want me to bring him back on and talk about Achilles tendinopathy, I would love to hear John wax poetically about shoulder pathology because he probably sees oh none of that in the NBA. Um, but just my own, just your own. But if you want to hear more, learn more, see things different, hit us up, True Sports PT on Instagram. Guys, thank you so much for listening. John Gardner, thank you. No, I appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, man.